Welcome to Opposable Thumbs. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Citizen Science is our challenge of this episode. Uh, thanks again to Vanessa Ray and Ariel Lynn for the challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have no guests this episode, but Taylor and I are here to kick it with you. And my name is Rob Ray, and I use the he, his gender pronoun, and I'm a designer and run the exoskeleton art space here in Los Angeles. We have no guest except for you. Except for you. That's right. Come along with us on this journey uh, into the mind of a maniac. (laughs) I better not use, I better not go with the rest of those lyrics. Who, Uh, who, what song is that? I think that's Ice Cube and Natural Born Killers. Um, but I could be wrong. You know, I was playing my, uh, my hip hop Spotify list in class, um, on Friday, yesterday as we taped this. And, um, so there's some hip hop classes at Columbia that actually sound really interesting with people who are, you know, in the scene in the nineties and they like bring producers and DJs and stuff around. Um, so a couple of my students who were taking hip hop classes were like, Oh, is this your playlist? Oh, this is great. You know? So I was feeling all, all awesome. Like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show them like that I've got style and everything. And, you know, and then the playlist goes and goes and you kind of forget what you put on there. And so R. Kelly popped up, and I was like, no. <laughs> and I ran over and fast-forwarded <laughs> it. And then the next one was um, Turn Down for What? And then a bunch of a bunch of the kids were like, oh, is this your playlist? And they were so disappointed that Turn Down for What was on there. So I felt like <laughs> all the gains I'd made with my careful choices were was completely blown away by this one or, you know, one or two poor, poor choices on there. Man, I would think Turn Down for What would at least would be like kind of like retro funny yeah maybe I, I was just maybe i was taking the critique of one or two students too seriously but I, made them listen, I made them listen to the whole thing as punishment uh, yeah. but uh i'm i'm taylor hokinson i'm an artist educator diy evangelist kid cam enthusiast noted tall person i'm a he his kind of guy what 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 the fact that i got through it what oh no i was just being little john there for oh a <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, this goes back in a much earlier episode. Didn't we talk about recording some uh, white guys' sayings like, now it's time for a breakdown? Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. Kinda, yeah. yeah. We should do that still. Yeah. Third Base, they had a that What? That the Cactus album had uh they were good at like being like, we're white dudes and we're going to like have funny white guy samples in there like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'll have to check that out. The band is Third Base? Yeah, Third Base. They, they oh. that, that that the Cactus album is so good and it was like um you know, three Jewish guys or something. <laughs> and I had gotten that tape and someone had told me it was the Beastie Boys. <laughs> this was right, in like sixth right. grade or something, seventh, ninth grade, ninth grade. And I, cause it said Beastie Boys on the cassette tape, but they had recorded third bass over it. So I was like, I have this Beastie Boys record. Nobody has like, and then I was, the egg was all over my face when I found out it wasn't actually the Beastie Boys. It's, I, I love the, um, the giant uh, embarrassments that you can still remember yes. in sixth grade. Yes. What do you think is the likelihood that, that the person who you were embarrassed in front of remembers it too? Oh man, that guy. Uh, uh, name names, dude. Name I can't. I can't remember name. I was t- I was trying out to remember his name. <laughs> he was the first person I knew, and it was in ninth grade, and it was the first person I knew who ever like kind of told me like I'm quitting high school, and I was like, you're doing what? Like you can do that? Yeah, yeah. Like he was just like, yeah, man. I don't. I'm, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to do this anymore. And I was like, I don't even understand what you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, where do you think he is today? Oh, is he Florida man or is he Mississippi? He's man? He's a Florida man. He's Florida man. Florida man. He yeah. is Florida man. Yeah. 
he's pretty wild style in ninth grade even so he's he might be an, be one of the more infamous florida florida man dot dot, dot. <laughs> florida persons mm-hmm. uh my apologies to all of our florida listeners we we love and care for you deeply florida mm-hmm, persons mm-hmm. yeah represent join us i can go deep on florida if anybody listener out there wants to <laughs> uh, anyway you want to talk about inventions oh yeah 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 so i, I think i'm first nice let's take a look at your stuff first so today we have you in a zip. Ooh. All right, so I'm taking a look at Rob's citizen science document, which is a PDF. Let me full screen this guy to get the get the full experience. All right, so I'm going to read some text here. Dogs are sensitive to small variations in the Earth's magnetic field and um ooh, we have actual references as well rob did you do some reading i did some reading look, a little look bit look at you man a little bit um so we're we're checking uh, uh frontiers in zoology 2013 so we're talking about the way that uh animals might choose to align their body access with the earth's magnetic field oh that's interesting um ooh. Occurrence of magnetosensitivity across animal taxa with the heuristic potential to contribute to the understanding of the mechanism of magnetoreception and identify further functions of magnetoreception apart from navigation. Um, I'm I'm picturing a bunch of um, uh, authors in lab coats that are um, blue in the face and laying on the floor after trying to (laughs) read these uh, sentences. (laughs) So um, uh, let's, let's go on to the examples because I can, I can maybe see where this is heading. But, oh, here you have something in bold, which is dogs prefer to excrete with the body being aligned along the north-south axis under calm MF conditions. MF is a, is what now? Something frequency? Or magnetic field. Magnetic right? field, it. yeah. Uh, okay, I gotta, I gotta see more. Is your, is your fair little pup one of the uh, experimental uh, participants here? <laughs> he is, so... Um, Rob states an experiment that he would like to conduct, recording the dog's direction of body access while pooping or peeing, also captured date, time, and location. So we're starting out with uh, Sonic Boom, Rob's new dog. And uh, <laughs> I like how you're estimating his age based on a, uh, uh, an examination of his uh, dentistry. Okay, let's see here. All right, so Rob goes on to um, just explain in great detail the nature of the uh, experiment he's going to conduct and the methods. So he's got a um, an app for the phone, the Spyglass iOS application, to figure out what his uh, compass orientation is and also the settings he's using. <laughs> oh, I love how this is visualized. So Rob has, um, I also love the fact that you told me you had this idea immediately when the challenge was given to you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, new dog owners, you're probably thinking about defecation quite a bit. Yeah. So uh, we have this kind of chart where horizontally across the top there are the dates, and then um, in a vertical orientation in a column underneath each date, there's a couple of examples um, between three and zero for each day of um, a picture of the dog. And so I guess you were able to just hover the phone above the dog so that you could sort of superimpose the... um, Did you have to do this in Photoshop or were you able just to capture this directly through the camera? Yeah, the Spyglass app is really neat. It's um, 
it allows you it sort of has a camera mode though it's very finicky which is why i didn't get as much i got maybe 25 photos or something but Mm -hmm. it's very slow to load so the dog would often be done by the time i was (laughs) ready to take the picture but it has um essentially like overlays like through you know kind of low level augmented reality a a camera excuse me a, a compass rose over the camera image so like you could hold it up to the landscape and sort of see you know elevation compass direction etc and i was like oh this is perfect because what i want is a picture of the dog and the dog's body orientation with um uh the compass degrees recorded as well plus you know date and time and stuff all on one image so it was like a very easy way to capture it if it only loaded faster yeah and then also well yeah maybe you should send these images to the developer and demand <clears throat> yes that their processes be streamlined so data analysis does not match study results so here you've indicated for each of those dates you have the specific number of degrees is that what yeah. we're looking at yeah and so why then are you just converting for us that 108 or 89 are roughly east? You know, 180 would be south, right? Because right. it's 180 mm-hmm. degrees from north. But I don't know. I think, and I think it's like from 160 to 190 is essentially south. And then it becomes like probably south, southwest or something, you know, like it, it mm-hmm. or southwest. Sure. Oh, to my great disappointment, not in you, but just in the fact that the idea doesn't seem to hold up. It would appear that you've got a pretty um, random distribution here. And yes. uh, let me see. And so let's take a look at some more of your <laughs> analysis. So results also indeterminate. Inconclusive. Possible reasons for insufficient or indeterminate data could include uh, dog age is out of tested range. <laughs> you, you did not differentiate between um, which type of evacuation was taking place. Um, I really love where you say, oh, study was not blind because... <laughs> <laughs> because potentially if you wanted this thing to be true, you might be urging your dog uh, without realizing it into a certain body orientation. Yeah, and intentionally like lead him with the leash a little bit, you know? Like, Yeah, right. Um, pseudo-replications, let's hear about those. What's the story with that term? Their sensitivity to magnetic field is seems to be pretty easily overridden, you know, mm-hmm. by the environment. And one of those things would be like, like for instance, most dogs, if you watch dogs, doing their business on the sidewalk, they typically just kind of walk off the edge of the sidewalk and do their thing and then hop so back they would on. they maintain alignment with the exactly. yeah. local so like, architecture, right? Yeah, there's just a lot of like environmental factors that could create a problem. And so really, I think what would be a better test would be to go out in a sort of more open field and like align on their own where they want to, how they want to do their thing um, right. separate But then, from. you know, which way do you enter the field from? Yeah, they did do some in- investigations into that, which was interesting, I thought. And also, like, time of day, they were like, do dogs orient away from the sun because it gets in their eyes? You know, mm-hmm. like, the, right, so right. they did account for some of that stuff, which was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. But I love the, the pictures you're generating, too, <laughs> yeah. because there's, like, the dog squat is a very funny and base kind of thing. And then you have these very technical overlays of <laughs> radial grids and stuff like that. Yeah, and they went pretty deep. Like, they, you know, dogs... Male dogs often lift their le- one leg, which then orients their body slightly differently mm-hmm. than a female dog who sort of t- tends to squat. But right. my mix is a dog that often tends to squat while peeing and doesn't lift his leg so much. Mm-hmm. And so, so, but, but, but there was clearly times when I recorded my sample that the dog was just sort of bending in one direction or the other. And so I sort of tried to line the arrow up the best I could, but 
there's some slop in that. Right? So, I mean, you're not going all the way into the scientific method, but you're entering it far enough that I think you, and particularly for something that's not high stakes, it, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the, the absurdity of the pairing, well, first of all, you know, just the scatological humor was something very um, articulated. Uh, but then I like that you also just stuck with it, right? So the you know the fact that you really did it over a course of two weeks and have documentation that's sort of pseudoscientific is great. When I first started doing the the thing, I didn't read the paper in full. I just read the first page and then went for it. Mm-hmm. And then I, before I started to look at the results, you know, maybe a week into the challenge, I was like, I'm going to read the whole thing and see what's up here. And there were so many interesting, illuminating moments around that I knew my results would probably... If my results were a match, that would be interesting. But the number of reasons why they wouldn't be a match were very high. You know, yeah, like dog age is out of range. I wasn't capturing whether he was pooping or peeing, and uh, they found that males tended to orient actually northwest during peeing and north south while pooping, but female dogs tended to align north south all the time. You know, so there's all these reasons why um, my results could be off. You know, right. um, and I think to me, like that maybe is the most important part of citizen science is is thinking about all the ways you could be wrong and not drawing a conclusion like there was more rain this year than last year. Therefore, global warming is a lie. Right. Researching this project I've been working on, I mentioned last time this, uh, you know, Kunkel's dream where this guy supposedly wakes up from a dream and has this vision about the snake biting its own tail. So I kept finding additional oh. great examples of that kind of stuff. Nice, yeah. Uh, so when it comes to the history of crystallography, which I've been researching about, there's this guy, um, oh man, I'll butcher his name, but it's Rene spelled J-U-S-T and then H-A-U-Y. I'm not sure how that would be pronounced. There's mm-hmm. a umlaut in there as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so he he's like a, a monk or a priest or something in the 1700s looking at a friend's rock collection and then butterfingers this rock and drops it on the ground oh. and then notes how when it breaks, it breaks along a plane. And so that led him to say, oh, well, there must be some kind of structure that's so small I can't see it that's a repeating structure because that's the only thing that you could, you know, like everything else when I break it, it crumbles in a way that's not expected. So yeah. he... Uh, presumably after asking permission, he kept on breaking the same example and managed to break it down to this sort of rhomboid-shaped nucleus. You know, so he was reasoning that if I can make, if it naturally wants to attain this shape, then perhaps that shape is repeated down and down and down until it's something you can't even see anymore. Wow. Um, You know, so who knows if these things are um, Uh uh, apocryphal or not, but there's just so many stories you could find uh, that were like this. Um, and then other ones that are just amazing too, um, you know, like now, if you think about the, uh, particle accelerators or whatever, the amount of people and capital and material and so forth it takes to search for these further out questions about the Higgs boson or whatnot, mm-hmm. but when they were inventing X-ray crystallography, um, the, uh, the person or people who really pushed it forward with Bragg's law were just a, a guy and his 22 year old son, you know, so his son is like an undergrad basically. And his dad's sending him letters like, Oh, what do you think about this? And they, and they push the field forward in this really important way by coming up with this equation for the interpretation of X-ray um, crystallography. Wow. And it's just, yeah, it's just some kid that like, you know, now our expectations of 22 year olds is so different. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I love those aspects of science that really 
hit you in the gut and, and tell a story and have to do with people doing really human things like, you know, dropping their friends thing on the ground. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you, so your, your investigation reminded me of that too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't tickle the dragon's tail with this one, but I did get, I did pick up some poop at least. During yeah. My... Yes. <laughs> Still tails involved. There's tails involved for sure. Yeah. Scratching Sonic Boom's yeah. ears. Yeah. 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 It felt like tickling the dragon's tail when it's like when you're just wake up and you're groggy and you're picking poop off the ground you know yep one one bad one one big slip and it's it's gonna ruin your morning yeah all right you ready to look at another yeah let's do it so take a peek i've um i've just sent you a video file but i think it might render right there in um Slack if you want to play them at the same time. Yeah, cool. Okay, yeah, I see water.mp4. Yeah. Video, and uh, we'll hit play on three, or uh, after three, two, one. Uh, Three, two, one, play. Citizen Science, with exclamation point, title. Oh, we see a phone and some, like, some sort of sensor that's going into a paper cup attached to, like, a little microcontroller. Paper cup is filled with some kind of liquid. Oh, okay. The phone came on. The screen was black before. Oh, leak in the basement. You've got some cleaning up to do. So it looks like this is a water sensor uh, of some kind that... It, so speaking of Chicago, we were talking about Chicago earlier. Chicago is a uh, city of basements, mm-hmm. and it is a city of flooded basements. So I'm curious about... Uh, uh that because it's um it's almost like a uh a rite of passage as a chicagoan to have to deal with a flooded basement um yeah so it sounds like taylor may have may have uh joined his chicago brothers and sisters <laughs> in managing a flooded basement uh but it looks like now we've got some internet of things uh possibilities attached to that yeah so i'm gonna post also i just put a little um repo up on github for anybody oh, cool. who wants to to follow along with this this is something i've been sitting on for a long time generally wanting to use this little board called a um a node mcu which is oh. a, a development board for a chip called an esp so there's esp 8266 and esp 32 but they're both wi-fi chips that you can use to communicate with the internet okay cool and um if you're buying stuff from china i mean you can get one of these little node mcu boards for like five bucks or something so well, it's possible to go out and buy email notifiers that do exactly this, you know, monitor your sump pump to see if it's going to overflow. Of course, we like making things ourselves and having control over how they function in a granular way. Um, so when I first bought the house, when my wife and I bought this house that we're currently in, we had to deal with a bunch of leak problems. We bought the place largely because of the basement, because the basement has really high ceilings, so it uses a studio. Oh, nice, yeah. <clears throat> but then... We had had some leaks uh, after there was this really torrential rainstorm, and we were trying to figure out where they were coming from, and we were also having trouble with the sewer backing up, and uh, we came to find that there was no clean-out for our sewer. So usually, right, you're supposed to have every you know X number of feet a way to unscrew a cap somewhere in your property to be able to get a rod down there to clean stuff out, right? Yep, yep. Um, sewer so sink. we had Right, so we had stuff backing up in the house, and we managed to clean all that out. But then as we were trying to push the problem further towards the street, we couldn't find the clean out. And then 
we had this basement flood where it was just coming through the sides of the basement wall. So we had to rip out a bunch of drywall, and we found a clean-out that had been drywalled over, so it was completely covered nice. <laughs> by drywall. But it I still wasn't. I totally effect- would have done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it still didn't act like a clean-out because it had... It was positioned in such a way you still had to go around like four bends to get oh, outside. No. <laughs> um, so I had to pay a dude to come and put a new one in outside. And then we paid him to snake the thing with a camera and found that it, we also had a broken um, pipe as the thing was meeting the city service. Oh. The sewer. So, you know, ultimately the city had to pay for it, but we had to pay for all the stuff leading up to that. So, so I'd done a bunch of this stuff. And then we have this sump pump, which, you know, effectively is just like a big hole in your basement. And if it's not, if it, you're not, if your pump's not functioning correctly in a rainy day, it guarantees that your basement leaks, right? Which is like the up and down side of the sump pump. So uh-huh. <laughs> after doing all this other work to get that going and having had a couple of leaks, um, I'm sort of paranoid about it. So I wanted to install a little device. Um, and having read about the citizen science stuff, I felt like a lot of it dealt with um, when it comes to IOT stuff, there are a lot of projects out there that are listening for, you know, humidity and temperature or whatever yeah, and yeah, reporting yeah. that data back. So this was kind of like, that's how I felt like I could pull off this particular thing for this challenge. Yeah, right, right. That would be interesting. Like the number of <clears throat> sump pump readings could like be some sort of broader indicator of um, like yeah. flood conditions or something. City health, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, if, if I recall, there's a whole... Um, uh, latrine pits are actually really important when it comes to archaeology because oh, people yeah. would just throw stuff down there when they want to get rid of it. Yeah, and guns and preserved. Stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and guns. <laughs> so, yeah, so if anybody wants to recreate this, you just get a little note MCU. Uh, there's many different flavors of them. You can get them through Amazon or eBay or um, AliExpress if you can wait a little bit. Uh-huh. And then um, I don't know how 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 well micro center is doing in general we still have a micro center in chicago and it's the last place i know of where you can just walk in and buy uh arduino based stuff and um raspberry pi stuff and sensors and that kind of thing yeah on the west coast we have a fries which is very oh, similar fries. to micro center I love fries yeah. yeah same same realm like they somehow have been able to dedicate x amount of retail space to thing a thing like an oscilloscope or something right know. yeah amazing yeah so um yeah i just bought this it's pretty simple it's just two parts basically i have Right in this example, I have it stuck on a breadboard, but I'll have to make it more official. And then there's a sort of PCB that has these traces on it that are all parallel and very close together. So when water bridges those connections, it has an analog value that it reports to uh, whatever MCU you're using. Um, In this case, the Node MCU. And then it just sits there and listens. And um, as long as it's provided with the correct Wi-Fi network and password... Uh, it sends the thing to you. The The other thing about it, which was interesting that I had to kind of noodle around with, is um, you need an ST, am I getting it right, STMP server? SMTP, uh, yeah. Yep. SMTP, right, yep, to send yep. the mail out. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah, cool. Right, so I didn't want to use, um, my, I was trying to figure out if there was sort of a free way to do this. And, yeah. and what I also wanted to do was text my phone. Yep. But um, usually you do need uh, an actual SIM card and something to do that. So... The workaround, there's two workarounds that people may find interesting. One is there's a, a thing called SMTP to go, which oh. is a free service as long as you're sending less than 25 emails an hour. Oh, great. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah, so you set up an account. Now, they also want you to do, I forget what the name of it was, but they wanted you to provide something extra that I don't have because I'm just doing a little IoT project. So I just emailed them and said, 
hey, this is an IoT project at small scale. Can you just waive this requirement? And they did. It took like 10 minutes. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And then, so, so I, I mean, there's all this like data I can get about exactly what time the emails go out and, and so forth. The service is like much more than you really need for this, um, this process, but it gets it done. And then uh, to go to my phone, if you just look for, if you wanted to uh, text anybody's phone, it would be more problematic. But if you know the, um, uh, the service provider they're working through, so I'm AT&T, uh, it, it turns out that every phone actually has its own email address. So if you just go for AT&T, it's something like the phone number at txt.att.com or something That's funny. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So because I don't have my mail notifications turned on, so they don't pop right up on my screen, but my texts do. And then um, so that way I could just uh, text it. And that's really fast, too. I mean, you you saw it right there. Uh, It it took about, you know, two or three seconds. Yeah, really quick. um, Email to arrive. Certainly fast enough for the like, your your basement won't fill up with three feet of water by the time you get the message. Yes. Uh, so if I'm sitting on the couch, it's, it'll be very helpful. If I'm yeah. downtown, yeah. I'll just have more time to worry about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is one of those rare examples where I just thought, like, here's a tight little thing I can do and accomplish, and then stick it up online so people can. Um, and that you know, a lot of the code had already been written. But it was largely for something that when you turned it on needed to email. So the main, yeah, right, the right. main thing I was doing was just getting it talking to a sensor, and that was about it. That's really cool. Do, I have a sump pump question. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I've always heard about them, but I don't totally understand. I mean, I think of them as like a like a pool pump, which is like there's water. It 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 detects there's water on the ground because of for some reason, and then it turns on because it knows that there's water. Where does the water go? Like. Is it pump out into the street? Like, is there, or does it? I think in Chicago, it just goes to the sewer. So it's dug down into the basement, so it's low. And then you'll have these things called drain tile, which I think is actually just a PVC pipe with a bunch of holes in it. Okay. So that'll be outside. So it's it's a purposely leaky pipe. So all the water that's right next to your house. Oh, it's like uh, to drop into the pipe. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then it and then it falls down in the sump pump. So. The trick with them, especially if you're in a rainy area, is that the thing goes on and off all the time forever. Yeah. And so when they give out, uh, there's usually not a really good way to tell. But but then in addition to that, so that one I can just open up the pit and look right in there, and it's basically just dirty rainwater. I see. But then also for all of the sewer services, um, like the toilet and so forth, the shower and the laundry machines that are in the basement... Because they're so low, they can't just drain directly to the sewer because the sewer line is actually above, above where those things are sitting. Yeah, so you need to pump. So those those go out to what's called an ejector pit, oh. um, which has I think the pump in that case has like a grinder on it, so that if it gets solid material, oh, that's um, cool. It can it can push it out. But when that thing fails, then you start getting you know active sewage and stuff backing up into your place. Wow. Um, so the most recent backup I had was like that. Now. We used the bathroom down there so seldom that it had been rinsed out, you know, however many times with mm-hmm. laundry water before it failed. Oh, yeah. Right, right. That's but good. when the switch fails, you don't really know. And then it just, you walk down your basement and there's water all over the place. So so I fixed that thing. You get this float switch. Because there's yeah. sewage in there and potential solids, you can't have a float switch that moves up and down because um, oh. something could jam in there, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you get a switch that's completely enclosed, so it just looks like a big black lump. Um, and then that thing um, floats up and down based just from the cable. And huh. if it turns over, the interior oh. stuff, which is completely sealed, is yeah. the thing that turns it on. 
Wow, that's neat. Um, yeah, I learned a lot about it. And man, I mean, when you're fixing these things, like the pump is way down in there. So yeah. if you want to get that thing out and work on it, you're getting like your whole arm up to the shoulder down into this sewage ejection pit. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty gnarly work. So <clears throat> I'm hoping that between that and the backup battery system I put in, I'll just never have to get in that thing ever again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is really, I mean, there's, yeah, there's so much there. It's like, many people don't realize like, oh, your house is actually built on a swamp. Like you have infrastructure that requires yeah. the, the power grid and like functioning mechatronics to, to yeah. like, to keep your, your house situation at, at stasis, you know? And, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I brought a guy around the first time I was trying to repair this stuff to fix it. And then I started getting paranoid about power loss. Right, so now I've got this big marine battery down there yep. that just sits there and is constantly charging and ready to go, yep. like a secondary pump. Yep, yep. But the guy, you know, the professional who put the stuff in, so you also have to put in these check valves so that, because the pump is trying to pump straight up, like, um, I don't know, seven feet or something before it can get back over to the sewer. Uh-huh. Um, so when the pump stops, all the water that's still in the column falls back down. Back down. And that's a lot of pressure that that kind of slams the thing shut. And so, you know, when I had the professional do it, I mean, I could practically be on the second floor of the house and hear this thing go when it would, you know, shut every time. And uh, then when I did it myself with the, like, $40 thing I bought off Amazon, it's completely silent. And so, you know, I'm getting to that place where I feel pretty confident in doing this stuff, but then I just also have to be the guy that gets in the sewage hole. Yeah. (laughs) Which is nice to pay someone to do that. But, you know, if it's your sewage, I guess that's, I don't know, is that worse or better if it's your own sewage? Yeah, I have a I have a plumber that I really like. He's a super cool person. And um but he's definitely like like when it's your job to run your arm like up a gross pipe, yeah. he just doesn't even blink. You know? Yeah. It's just like yeah. Yep, here here we go. <laughs> Where for me yeah. and it's yeah, like yeah. it's essentially like my own waste. Like, who cares? Like, you know, of anyone I should be the least offended. But like, like yeah. he just doesn't he's just like, mm, yeah, no problem. I remember when I was uh, still a renter we were having a toilet issue and so called the guy and he was just one of these general handymen that probably has no distinct training of any kind. He's just willing to do it. So he came and he was going to pull up the toilet and replace the wax seal, I think was the deal. But to do that, you want to make sure to evacuate all the water, right? So that when you pull the toilet, it doesn't just get all over. Yeah. And so he brought this giant toolbox and I thought, oh, is he going to have like some kind of hand pump in there? Well, he opens the toolbox and it was just a giant towel, like, like yeah. a big, big fluffy <laughs> towel. And then he just stuck it in the toilet and soaked up all the water and was like wringing it out in the sink. Yep. And I had to run in there and yank my toothbrushes off the, yeah. <laughs> the soap because he was just like didn't care at all. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was a great um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy moment. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Hey, I have I have a actually thing to share that's totally related to your to what we're talking about great let's hear it yeah it's um it's a podcast it's this was so you know like often bigger podcasts will feature a smaller podcast or like mm-hmm. have them do some work for them or something and so sure. one of the more recent 99 percent invisibles was uh sort of uh what do you call it? like spotlighting this other podcast called 50 things that made the modern economy mm-hmm. and one of those things is the S bend in plumbing? Yeah, sure. Which is what keeps yeah. a toilet it like keeps a, a pool seal. of water, yeah, sealed 
sealing um, the sewer gas off from your house. And I was like, man, that is, I've always thought about that. Um, you know, cause you're, it's like, when it's like, how does the toilet work? You know? <laughs> you know? Right. Like, yeah. And uh, the S bend is, is this pretty amazing, very simple invention, which just gives like, uses a little bit of a pool of water in the bend of the pipe to keep, uh, to keep all the sewer gas from blowing back up into your apartment. I don't know. And it's yeah. not, it's not like it's a, um, I mean, you don't need any kind of technological infrastructure, really. If you can make a pipe, you can make yep. an S-bend. Right? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's not true. I suppose they're slightly because you, well, anyway, I guess what I'm trying to indicate is that it's funny to imagine how long there was before the S-bend and someone was like, duh. <laughs> yeah, I think it required some, like, I think it required, I think it, I think it was after the invention of the metal pipe. Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe they made clay pipes that were S-bends. This is also now a typical podcast thing where, like, I remember listening to the podcast, but I don't remember now all the specifics of, like, well, right, yeah. what well, they said. Well, that's what people got to go listen to it, yeah, yeah for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 50 Things That Made the Modern Economy. It's a cool, cool podcast. I, I still just subscribed to it off of um, their 9% visible recommendation. You know, one thing I've been listening to, or rather uh, thinking about, reading about, that is not related at all, but people just might find interesting is the, um, are you familiar with this, the Boso Zuko um, Japanese youth subculture? Doesn't mm. ring a bell. Is this like the moped people? Yeah, what it's related. So okay, the, okay. Um, so That's I was getting I into reading about it, and I, I can't remember how I, I came across reading about it, but um, so this is where all the style in Akira comes from, the, the animated movie and graphic novel series. But you've got people, you know, riding bikes that are heavily souped up and then uh, wearing... Um, I guess the direct translation is special attack clothing. <laughs> and so it would be like stuff that kamikaze fighters would have worn, you know, really high boots and then uh, coveralls and things like that. And you might even have like a rising sun patches or um, other references to uh, kamikaze gear. But then you'd also have these like super fanciful bikes with these incredible fairings, you know, like with the headlight oh, yeah, four, nice. four or five feet off the ground or something. And then, yeah handlebars altered and all that and very um, stylized yeah but it was cool to read about the the background because so so in my um my foundation's art class right now the last thing they have to do is to research a demon or a devil and then make a mask just like a really kick-ass mask of that particular demon and devil and for once i was saying you know yeah go ahead and read about other people's cultures and if they have a kick-ass demon just do it and i was i was trying to think like you know, there's so many cases uh-huh, in which uh-huh. I'll warn people about cultural appropriation, but I feel like if you're picking the stories about demons, like, that's fair game, right? Well, what, what do you think about that? Is that still problematic in terms of cultural appropriation? As long as you research it and um, don't pick something that would be, like, just patently offensive, I feel like that's all right. Yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I, feel, like, I feel like the there's cultural appropriation and there's cultural inspiration, right? And like, or appreciation, appreciation. Yeah. Right. And I feel like that there is some fine lineage lineage, fine, fine line, fine lineification (laughs) up in there, you know, like how do you, how do you decide what is, what is what? And like, and like also Mm -hmm. like how clear are your intentions and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, you know, uh, I well, think maybe, in some ways maybe it's there about, will like, be the possibility for problematic stuff. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't. Know. It's it's also like, um, yeah. It, 
Yeah, it's a, that's a weird one for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely demons, right? It's like, that's a very broad... It seems like you could pull from a number of different sources and come up with something interesting on your own that isn't just being... <laughs> it's not like there's ever one... To your point, like, there is no one source of a demon, mm-hmm. right, that you would have to, like, go to. So there's a lot there you could sort of synthesize from across a lot of different histories and cultures and stuff. So, Well, I mean, good. now that I'm saying it, I'm, I'm imagining scenarios where somebody could find a way to make it problematic. Like, you can think about cultures that have cast um, other ethnic groups or whatever mm-hmm, as... Mm-hmm demons or subhuman or something like that so so i'll certainly have to have my eyes open to see if anyone falls into that trap but i think largely it's pretty celebratory um the way that we're doing it like with krampus and these great <laughs> you know stories that uh yeah um, yeah yeah it'll be an interesting ex- experiment right yeah to see like what feels yeah dicey or not even okay know? interesting well yeah, we'll we'll yeah. see if somebody puts their foot in it i'll be there to help <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take yeah. their foot out yeah, the, yeah yeah um so we're working on that and um how is this related to the Boso Suko thing I was talking about? Oh, man, I'm totally losing my train of thought. Cultural appropriation, maybe? Cultural appropriation. Oh, right, exactly, cultural appropriation. So the, because um, the thing with the Boso Zuko, or is it Boso Zoku? I, I, I keep confusing it. But so they had actually taken it from American greaser culture. Mm, yeah. Right. So then one of the things that characterizes it, apart from the clothes and the bikes, is having these really tall pompadour haircuts. And it's like specifically from the uh, this one particular movie by what's his name? Who's the um, uh, you know the guy who died in the car crash? The actor Rebel Without a Cause. Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah, James Dean. Yeah, so I, I think there's even like a particular James Dean movie that is sort of seen as the inspiration for the culture. Now the culture is on the decline in part. I've read because. Japanese law changed, so it's easier just to ar- arrest a huge group of people all at once. <laughs> so oh, like you, the wow. cops could just oh. roll up and see the biker gang and be like, all of you guys in the truck. Um, but I think in its heyday, you know, particularly the 80s, um, there's some really great visual stuff to look at. And it's a really cool example. I mean, speaking of cultural appropriation, like it's being appropriated from the United States. And then I'm kind of thinking about it over here, like reappropriating it. And that kind of back and forth strikes me as really interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's something I've been into because I think it looks cool. And I've been thinking more about fashion having made this uh, jumpsuit, which I'm actually wearing right now, um, that I've talked about uh, previously with um, Abigail Glam Lathbury's um, oh, yeah, cool. project, um, just jumpsuit. Yeah. Uh, yeah so those yeah. things have been on my mind, even though they have nothing to do with um, sump pump email notifiers. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, so another thing I have about citizen science is a pretty amazing article, but now I'm going to do the, I'm doing a super, a super foul, which is I, I, I referenced 99% invisible and now I'm going to reference the New Yorker magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you read? <laughs> um, I forget how I saw this, but it's a great article about this paleontologist um, who sort of hit the jackpot on this uh, uh, dig site um, in the United States and, um, it goes real, this article, it's like, you know, it's a, it's kind of the New York at its best. Like it goes super deep on this person and kind of the work that they're doing and the, just the introductory, like first, I don't know, 10, 20 paragraphs are such an amazing literary description of this event that we know happened, but we don't know what it's, ramifications on dinosaurs were which is 
this giant asteroid hitting the earth and um essentially just wrecking the entire climate for a very long time and like we know where it hit and all this stuff and it just like paragraph after paragraph is this like a rich description of just the annihilation of the earth and it's so so really it's really great and the article is called um the day the dinosaurs died that's it yeah thanks i was just i was just trying to scroll up and of course because it's a modern website these days if you stay on a web page too long without doing something yeah everything goes to shit and like you're trying to like you're asked to be signed up for a newsletter you're <laughs> i'm being asked to read more great writing from the new yorker and subscribe like everything's yeah. getting in the way of me trying to actually read the thing but anyway it's a great article um and and he is not a citizen scientist he's actually a you know sort of credentialed scientist but not not in a way that you would think like the scientist citizen He's been working. Yes. Oh. Oh. Yeah. He's been working on his PhD for forever, and like a lot of people are just like, yeah, you know, hitting the gold mine. It's, it shouldn't really, it doesn't really make your career anymore as a paleontologist. It's like, whoa, dang. <laughs> like, <laughs> anybody could do that. But anyway, it's great. The KT boundary is this like little dark line that uh, you'll see in a dig that is essentially where all the ash and stuff rained down right, yeah. and destroyed the entire ecosystem. <clears throat> yeah, that's amazing. Anyway, yeah, it's cool. Oh, well, well, you know, speaking of things that sound like band names, I should throw into the uh, <laughs> Bozo Zuko. Um, man, am I saying that right? Let me just check it real quick. Bozo Zoku. <laughs> oh, cool. So, the, uh, yeah, the uh, apparently the, the band Godspeed You Black Emperor, they got their name from a That's documentary right. about right. Bozo Zoku culture yeah. called called the same thing. That's cool. That's all. I dig that band. Right. Yeah, so um, Taylor has some source code and some cool images, and I have a PDF that used to be a keynote presentation, but uh, is now a PDF. And you can check out that stuff at projects.opposableopodcast.com. And we'll also have links in our show notes. And we also post cool stuff to our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast. Uh, if you want to get an opposable thumb sticker, and they are awesome, uh, just share a podcast episode on social media or rate us on iTunes or some other cool thing, and we'll send you a sticker in the mail. In the mail. You will get a joyous thing in the mail. Unlike uh, a car vehicle recall notice, or some crappy flyer telling you that avocados are on sale, uh, you will get a cool thing in the mail. An opposable podcast, opposable thumbs podcast sticker. Uh, just give us a shout on Instagram at opposable underscore podcast or at our email address, which is opposable podcast at gmail.com. And a shout out to Wolf Mask who made our awesome logo. Uh, a big shout out to our Patreon supporters Adam Mayer, Deb Tatra, Blondie Hacks, Nick Kantar, Walter Katundu, and David Bellhorn. They're our top Patreon supporters, and if you'd like to join them in our league of Patreon supporter badasses, just go to patreon.com slash films to sponsor us. Our podcast is dedicated to providing harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. Oh, I have one more thing, Taylor, shoot, that mm-hmm. I wanted to give a shout-out to, and that is another non-citizen science science thing and it's the paper boys podcast and it's um two fellows who die who are both i think getting their working on getting their phds they dive into an academic paper and not debunk it but they just like evaluate it on its merits oh, that and sounds stuff. cool yeah it's really cool it's a it's a cool podcast and um 
I've I had a couple of chats with one of the guys over um, Twitter and he was really nice and great. And we were talking about just recording the podcast and how to make it sound good and stuff. And they have a, a the latest episode they did is really good. And it's called Are Eggs Really Bad for You? Which is a great question, right? It's like we've always heard that eggs were bad for you. And then we heard that eggs were really good for us. And so yeah, what is it? This has been a recent, a recent paranoia. Yeah. Well, oh. it's come around recently, but has come around many times. Yeah. 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 So our eggs really bad for you. It's the latest episode. So it's great. If you go to paperboyspodcast.com or search your podcast app of choice, uh, you'll get there. <clears throat> okay. Uh, oh, our spreadsheet. Yeah. Let me um let me open it up. And then I'll get a uh get a random number for you, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Here, once I get it open. Okay. Give me a number between one and three. Uh, three. Three. Anonymous. Oh, fun. By Liz from Lit City DIY. Excellent. Yes. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about Liz because I need to come up with a way to execute a bunch of um, shell scripts all at the same time. Oh, She did that yeah. great little um, hat for the Raspberry Pi to do just, just that. So she's been on my mind. That's cool. She's had some cool... Some cool she, she is very... Uh, good about posting youtube videos frequently but her most recent one is a cool one like it's a it's a tribute to twin peaks the tv show mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's it's a cool project uh so all right so non uh so we will let our next guest know that uh, yeah is that challenge. has clear technology hooks but um <clears throat> yeah you could go obvious on it or not so obvious yeah on there's it. there's a lot of room to play in that one yeah it's for good. sure this will be yeah. a good one yeah yeah uh well great job rob we uh we hashed it out we were both citizens and scientists. I, too, am a human who likes putting food in my mouth hole. <laughs>